Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Cholly, bringing the rest of my Times Radio show. You can listen live from 10 o'clock Monday to Friday on Times Radio, on DAB, on the Smart Speaker, on the Times Radio app. But you can always catch the best bits here on the podcast. It's an historical day today. Boris Johnson's last ever PMQs for now, until he comes back. Uh, that's coming up in just a moment. But first, we thought we'd kick off. Uh, no uh, columnist panel uh, today with Robert Crabs and Alice Thompson because we're heading to CCHQ. CCHQ, Chorley Campaign Headquarters. Yes, we are joined once again by our Tory leadership battle armchair generals. Uh, Philip Webster, former political of the Times. Morning, Phil. Good morning. And Eleanor Goodman, former political of Channel 4 News. Hi, Eleanor. Hi. Uh, good to have you. Uh, good to have you with us. Um, let's start then with the uh, with the leadership contest, which we've been, been talking about now for what the best part of ten days. Uh, maybe it was, maybe maybe it's been longer. Was it two weeks ago we first we first had you on? I think. Um, what? Uh, it, it's so what? Now we're down to Rishi Sunak, Liz Truss, and uh, Penny Mordaunt. Um, the most interesting thing, which seems to have happened in the last few minutes, anyway, is uh, Penny Mordaunt's got herself in some bother. Uh, I don't know if you've seen uh, this, either of you. Uh, Penny Mordaunt tweeted a link to a column which had the headline, uh, Tory MPs, vote Rishi Sunak or Liz Trust today and you'll murder the party you love. Um, this appears to have been gone, gone down very badly, Phil. Not surprised. I'm not surprised. Uh, um I suppose uh, whether it will have any effect on the final outcome this afternoon, I doubt. I think it will be Sunak Truss uh, with Mordaunt in third place. She's she's taken a huge battering over the last week or so, and it sounds as if this one won't exactly um, endear her to uh, any additional um, uh, MPs who might uh, be stray. There is, there are various ris- mysteries still to be cleared up. The the final tally for Sunak will be extremely interesting. A um, lot of stuff overnight about um, Sunak having lent votes to various people. Uh, one to keep Mordant off the final ballot paper. Another story I saw to keep trusts off the final ballot paper. <laughs> so the, the biggest mystery to me last night was where on earth the Tom Tugendhat votes from two rounds ago, 31, where on earth they'd gone? Because Liz Truss went up by 15 uh, votes and they certainly would not have come from Tugendhat. I would not have thought. So yeah, t- there's a few remaining, few remaining little quirks, but I'll still stick with Sunak Truss for the, uh, for the runoff. I'll say Sunak to win uh, in the membership ballot, although Truss is now the bookmaker's favourite. Eleanor, you're, you're reading of the situation this morning ahead of that vote, voting starting at one o'clock. Well, I, I don't think Morden's done herself any favours. I mean, if you think they only just pulled out of that uh, four-way television debate on the grounds they didn't want to go on ripping lumps out of each other, and here she's trying to take a great big lump out at the last moment, and it does rather smack of, of desperation. Um, I, too, am intrigued as to what, what, what has been going on. I do think it would be a bit dodgy for um, Sunak to be lending votes, given that, you know, he only put on three. Uh, he, just, he, he hasn't got that much margin for error. 
So you wonder what's going on. But like Bill, I wonder what happened to those Tom Tugan Hart boats. You can't imagine many of them having gone to, to Liz Truss. It's just not um, credible. But having said all that, I have now come round to the idea that it is going to be Liz Truss. I think she's got the momentum. She's got two papers, front pages, saying this morning she's going to, to do it. And that probably means that'll switch a few votes who want to be, as it were, on on the winning side. So I think it probably will be Truss against Sunak. And then we'll, uh, then it's out to the membership. And uh, at the moment, that seems to suggest that uh, she would have it then. Yeah, so in the uh, in the YouGov polling uh, that came out yesterday of Tory party members, I think it found that Rishi Sunak would lose to all of his rivals. Uh, Liz Truss would beat him 54 to 35. Penny Morton would beat him by uh, 51 to 37. Although, uh, when I pointed this out to uh, Team Rishi, uh, they did, they noticed that there's been there's been quite a lot of swing uh, in in that. Certainly, uh, Sunak against uh, Mordaunt. I think there's been a 13% swing towards uh, Rishi Sunak. Um, uh, so, that, so there's been quite a lot of churn there. And actually, at this point in the race last time round, uh, they were giving, I think they had got Boris Johnson or something like 75% yeah. uh, against yeah. Jeremy Hunt, and he ended up with 66%. So it's already closer. And actually, something could happen during the course of the campaign. Although, but of course, I, think, I think Sunak has to... Um, I think what that poll shows is that Sunak has got to act pretty quickly to reduce the deficit because uh, Tory members get their voting papers very early in August, I think between the 1st and the 5th. And a lot of those will have their vote and clear off on holiday, I think. So I I don't think he's got till the end of uh, August to sort this out. He has to act quickly. So anything he's been sitting on, any great uh, uh, announcement he's got up his sleeve about... um, tax cuts, not quite tomorrow, but round the corner, he'd got to do fairly quickly. I think Team Sunak know that uh, they go into this final race behind and that he's got to very quickly convince the membership that he's the one they should go for. The one thing that's that's less certain is quite who is most popular among the the electorate or least unpopular, Um, because all the camps seem to have been able to claim that the opinion polls show that they would do better among the wider electorate. Now, a good poll for Trudac on that might change things. I mean, the other thing... um, you just long for is to hear what Sunak would do about some of the other big issues facing the country. Now, there may not be things which immediately seem to uh, be of of interest to party members, but they know what trouble the party is in. And neither of the candidates really said anything about what they'd do to to restore integrity among politicians. And if he can pitch himself on that ticket, the man who's got the most ambitious and thorough, thorough uh, plan for that. That could help him a lot in those last two weeks. Because really, all we've heard about is the economy, isn't it? And actually, that's a good point. There's our colleague Daniel uh, Finkelstein in the Times today has, has sort of makes exactly that point as to why none of them have have uh, have really addressed. He said, you know, when he talks about the occasional oblique reference to trust, uh, but I, nobody's I really tackled really head on. Piece. I mean, yeah. I, I thought actually we had to write a, a a leader for this slot. So as I was swimming this morning, I was thinking what I would say if I was writing a leader. And that is, I think the danger is that the Tory party 
because of the present system of, of electing the leaders in both parties, i.e. the party membership, they vote for people who make them feel comfortable. They put, vote for people who are like themselves. And they don't actually think of the wider concerns of the electorate. I mean, pray to God, some of these people, if they're supposed to be older, they've got grandchildren who are nagging them about climate change, for example, which is another subject we've seen nothing on. But I do agree with Danny that the time has come to end one, one member, one vote. And Phil and I will remember going way back when it was the reverse <laughs> argument, when the Benites were, be, were arguing against the, the Dennis Healy and his lot, and David Owen, against one man, one vote, as it was known in, this, uh, in that time. And if you have a parliamentary democracy, you do elect your MP to use their judgment. Well, you're only allowing them at the moment to use half their judgment, but surely they're better equipped to know who is capable of, of judging the country rather than people sitting in theatre seats, more or less. We're not quite, Ellen and I, and I are not quite old enough to go back to a much happier time, of course, when there were no elections in the, uh, in the Tory party and uh, leaders emerged through the so-called magic circle. And um, it was only, I think, with the Ted Heath election that uh, members got involved uh, or, or MPs got involved for the MPs first time. Danny's point this morning is that really that a uh, the con today's Conservative MPs have got to own up to the mess that's happened over the last two or three years. That's the first thing. But then they've got to drop the idea of of members picking the uh, picking the leader. And it, funny enough, Phil Johnston, uh, old friend in the Telegraph today, he's said just the same thing. He said the biggest mistake Tories made was in 1998 when, he took the vote, when it took the vote out of the hands, the final vote out of the hands of the MPs and passed it to the members. And the very consequences that Eleanor mentioned have happened. They've gone, they've gone for the, the populist and they haven't known sometimes the background of the people they've, uh, they've chosen to, to go for. The, ca the counter-argument, because I tweeted a link to Danny's piece last night, so it was, it, was a, it was a powerful argument he was making, that particularly in government, it would be better if MPs chose the leader from their number rather than involving members. And actually, quite a lot of people came back, some of them angrily, although it's hard to believe on Twitter, uh, and I made the case, well, if you want people to join political parties in order to uh, generate money and have a broad base and not be reliant on just rich donors. Why would you bother joining a political party if you couldn't ultimately have a say in the leadership? Is there a, isn't there an argument for it? If you, if you shrink the influence of the, of the party membership, then what you end up with is a political party entirely funded by, by people with very big checkbooks. And actually, that's not great either, Eleanor. That's a good point. Sorry, sorry, Eleanor, you, you go ahead. No, I mean, I, I do agree with that. And, and I was thinking about that as I turned it over in my head. Why would you uh, join a party? I suppose you, uh, you would still have the right to select a candidate. And certainly among Conservative members, that's an important privilege. But it isn't the same and it doesn't address the financial part. But maybe there is part of a wider package of cleaning up politics. We need to look again at, uh, at donations. I mean, this that story in The Sun today about... Uh, Boris's, uh, you know, resignation list and how he's proposing to put another vast donor to the Lords. I mean, all that makes you feel very, very uncomfortable. And I think at this time, they all need to be cleaner than cleaner than thou. 
because the respect for politicians is so low at the moment. And when there's so much anger around in the country, and you can be sure there will be by the end of, this, of a long, hot summer of industrial con- con- discontent, you just, I think that the, the picture of the party just selecting a prime minister by its own members is, is really very unattractive. Though I know other, but, but the Labour Party has gone uh, through change of leaderships without having an election. I think the, the climate at the moment is so distrustful and there are so many huge issues that, it, that they've really got to be careful and not looking, as I said, just doing this for their own sake. And the Corbyn election, of course, did show that membership, uh, solely membership elections are open to manipulation. And, uh, you know, members were then given a sort of cheap uh, way into the membership and the membership was packed with far left supporters, which gave the Labour Party Corbyn. He would not have even been on the list of candidates had not a handful of Labour MPs took pity on him. Uh, He hadn't got enough to be nominated for the membership, Um, uh, but they took pity on him and put him on the list, and they ended up with him as leader with the disastrous result that that had. So it does show that membership elections are not that pure either. Uh, Just on the the honours list, uh, Phil, extraordinary story in the sun today about not one, but... Boris Johnson wanting two honours lists. He wants to, to, to still go ahead with the planned uh, uh, list of appointments to the House of Lords, which he was drawing up before he was, he was bumped off, including uh, uh, Paul Dacre from the Daily Mail, apparently heading to the House of Lords. Uh, and then he wants a, a resignation honours list as well, so that he can give gongs to Downing Street staff and his old mate Nadine Doris. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's he's going to land. He's going to go out with a cronyism row, I think. That's all, but it seems, somehow seems appropriate after the last few weeks and months. So I think I think he'll go out with this big row about whether he should have two, uh, two honours lists. Um, I imagine the, he could narrow it down to one because there's some people on there who I won't name who could uh, easily fit into both uh, fit into both categories. But clearly it's uh, it's another row around the corner and um, not a good way to go out. I must say, no one has worked harder for an honours list than Paul Dacre. One of the the joys of the end of this context will no longer be having to read the mail for a bit because it will have used all its vitriol for a bit. (laughs) I don't know whose phone that was ringing. Was that your phone ringing, Phil? Is that Boris Johnson phoning to offer you a seat in the Lords? I think think possibly, yeah. I I will go back to it later. I'll listen on the voicemail (laughs) and see whether I've uh, been offered anything. Well, I think I think Lord, Lord Webster's definitely got a good uh, ring to it. Philip Webster, former political editor of the Times, there, and Eleanor Goodman, former political editor of Channel Four News. And you can follow all the touring and furring of the Tory leadership contest online. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box to subscribe. Up next, it's Boris Johnson's last PMQs unpacked. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. You're listening to the Red Box podcast now. It's time for this. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. Yes, good afternoon. It's Matt Chorley uh, live on Times Radio, live on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Uh, Several hundred people already, uh, already telling us where you are right now. Uh, uh, go online. Hello from Lima. Hello from Birmingham. Hello from Stratford upon Avon. Uh, hello from Australia, Tenerife, Bangkok. Uh, I mean, hello to London too. Patrick McGuire, are you there? I certainly am, Matt. How are you? I'm all right. In fact, uh, people have been noticing because I'm, I'm broadcasting from home today, Patrick. People have been noticing my bookshelf behind me. And what do I have up here? Oh, it's not here? a best selling book about Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party, is it? Oh, please. Oh, I'm much it's... too modest. <laughs> Oh, stop! It, it, it's, a rare, it's a rare unsigned copy. Uh, uh, I can't believe I can't believe. I think I might have actually bought it, which is why it's not signed. Anyway, there we are. Uh, it's <laughs> we are bringing you PMQs unpacked. We will pause the action live from the House of Commons. It's Boris Johnson's last ever uh, Prime Minister's uh, questions. The big question is how will he wound, wind it all up? I mean, of course, he's just the latest Prime Minister to be forced out by his own party, and no, this is his last PMQs. This morning I had a number of meetings and after my duties in this house, I shall continue to reply to some of the 30,000 letters that have so far been delivered to Downing Street in the last few days. I've never pretended to be a great House of Commons man, um, but I can pay um, the House the greatest compliment I can by saying that from the first to last I never stopped fearing it. And that tingling apprehension that I felt at three minutes to 12 today, uh, I felt as much 10 years ago and every bit as acute. And it is in that fear that the respect is contained. And the second thing I would like to say is about politics and to all my colleagues from different political parties. Um, Some may belittle politics, but we know who are engaged in it that it is where people stand tall. And... Although I know it has its many harsh contentions, it is still the arena that sets the heart beating a little faster. And if it is on occasions the place of low skullduggery, it is more often the place for the pursuit of noble causes. And I wish everyone, friend or foe, well. And that is that, the end. I will um, watch these exchanges from the backbenches. I will miss the roar of the crowd. I will miss the barbs from the opposition. But I will be willing you on. And when I say willing you on, I don't just mean willing on the new Prime Minister at this dispatch box, or indeed just willing on 
the front bench defending the manifesto that I helped to put together. But I mean willing all of you on, because people come here with huge passion for the issues they care about. They come here with great love for the constituencies that they represent. And also willing on this place, because yes, we can be pretty tough and test and challenge our leaders, uh, perhaps more than some other countries, but that is something we should be proud of and we should keep at it. And I hope you will all keep at it and I will will you on as you do. The last thing I'd say is that you can achieve a lot of things in politics. You can get a lot of things done. And that, in the end, the public service, the national interest, that is what it's all about. Nothing is really impossible if you put your mind to it. After all, as I once said, I was the future once. <laughs> In, in future, I look forward to asking the questions. But we are, as the Right Honourable Lady has said, living through extraordinary political times. This House of Commons is rightly at the centre of those events. And that's because of the vital link between every single member of this House and the communities, the commons that we represent. That's the bedrock of our parliamentary democracy and of our liberty. And each one of us, wherever we sit, whatever we stand for, can take pride in that. And that duty to serve my constituents will remain my greatest motivation. What do, you, uh, what do we expect, do you think, from, uh, from Boris Johnson today? Well, I don't think we're going to get uh, those sort of elegiac, graceful, gracious tributes, are we? I think the problem with Boris Johnson is that... Uh, He's got one eye in Heighton and one eye in New Brighton, as we say uh, on Merseyside. <laughs> is that he's got one eye on protecting his legacy and you know being the uh, model of a prime minister, and the other is he is spinning a myth that he can take on the lecture circuit and that he can sell memoirs with, which is that he's been done dirty by an ungrateful party. So I don't think we're going to get dignity in defeat. I think there's a great tradition of graceless winners in British politics. One of them. Uh, Doug Hoyle, Lindsay Hoyle's uh, dad, who gave a famously bilious uh, acceptance speech when he beat Roy Jenkins in uh, in, in Warrington. Uh, it's usually winners who, uh, you know, lose the run of themselves. I think we're going to see the first loser in British politics fail to respond with the dignity you expect. And also, from Keir Starmer, I hear, we're not going to get the customary tribute. Keir Starmer thinks that would be inauthentic. Uh, you know, it was described to me, I apologise in advance for the slightly blue language, as Westminster chumocracy bollocks by a member of his team. Uh, I don't think we're going to get any of that from Keir Starmer. He'll wish him well, but that'll be, be the minimum of ceremony, I think, that we usually expect from these occasions. In fact, memorably, when Tony Blair stood down, uh, David Cameron, uh, there was a round of applause, very rare back, I mean, it happens all the time, it was very rare that happened. And David Cameron famously told his MPs in his shadow cabinet to get up and join the standing ovation. So it'll be interesting if that happens. I tell you what, we could go, it's all good of tributes. Uh, we have, uh, there has been a tribute in the just last minute or so uh, uh, from Lindsay Hoyle, the common speaker, has paid tribute to Boris Johnson. Let's take a listen. Before I call Kim Lambita, it's to ask her first question. It's only fitting to note this is likely to be the final time the right will member for Uxbridge addresses the House as Prime Minister. I would... I would like to wish him and this family all the best for the future. Can I, can I say, we've been through many dark times within this house, and none more so than through the pandemic, and always will be remembered 
for what this House did and the way that you conducted those duties during those dark times. Yeah, 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 well I understand that members will have differing views about the Prime Minister's performance and legacy, <coughs> and those views will be sincerely and passionately held, but I remind members that our constituents and others around the world watch these proceedings. Let us conduct them in a respectful manner, focusing on issues and policies rather than personalities. I, remember, I take this opportunity to remind members of the words of Eskin May, good temper and moderation are the characteristics of the parliamentary debate. I expect to see that reflected today in the proceedings. I now call Kim Ledbeater. So there we are. There we are. Lindsay Hoyle uh, paying tribute to Boris Johnson's behaviour during the uh, during the pandemic. Uh, go on then, Patrick. Just one last time. Well, don't touch the lathe. No, it's. Um, <laughs> I think it's. I think that's admirable restraint and courtesy from Lindsay Hoyle, given the lack of respect Boris Johnson and his ministers have persistently showed him, and how quickly Lindsay Hoyle has pointed that out at every given opportunity. I don't think we're going to see the stay, same uh, deference to convention from Keir Starmer. To be honest with you. Yeah, and I think you're, you're right. I mean, given that it's a large part, see, Lindsay Hall during the pandemic, he was constantly complaining about announcements being made on the TV and not in the House of Commons chamber, about, uh, you know, ministers not abiding by the uh, sort of constitutional niceties. So it's um, he's, he's done his best to try and rise, rise above that. But here we go then. This is PMQ's Unpacked, the last PMQ for Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, at least this time round. Uh, we uh, here on Times Radio, if you haven't uh, heard us before, rather than just putting it on and going making a coffee, we'll pause the action live as we go along to explain what is going on uh, and to analyse in real time the key exchanges. So here we go for one last time. It's question number one from Keir Starmer. Can I start by saying to the Prime Minister that I do know that the relationship between a Prime Minister and Leader of the Opposition is never easy. And this one's proved no exception to the rule. But I would like to take this opportunity to wish him, his wife and his family the best for the future. Can I also put on record our gratitude to the Fire and Rescue Services for all their courageous work yesterday in extreme temperatures. All our thoughts are with those affected by the fires, particularly those that have lost their homes. I join the Prime Minister in his comments about the bombings in Hyde Park and the IRA bombings. I also join him in his comments about the Lionesses. The coverage starts at 7.30 tonight on BBC One, and I'm sure the whole country will be roaring them on. And for anyone who doesn't fancy football, EastEnders is on. So if you'd rather watch outrageous characters taking lumps out of themselves, you've got a choice. Albert Square or the Tory leadership debates on catch-up. On that topic, Mr Speaker, why why does the Prime Minister think that those vying to replace him decided to pull out of the Sky debate last night? Prime Minister. Uh, Well, Mr Speaker, I'm not following this thing particularly closely, but my... My, 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 impression, my impression is that there's been a quite a lot of debate already, and I think the public, I think the public are, are having, they're having an ample opportunity to view the talent, uh, Mr. Speaker. That, that any one of any one of which, any one of which, as I say before, like some household detergent, would wipe the floor. Uh, with the, with, with the, with the, 
with a with a with a right. I mean, this t- today today happens to be just about the anniversary of, of the exit from lockdown last year. And do you remember? Do you remember what he said? Uh, he said, "Yeah, I'm going to remind him." He said it was reckless. It was because we were able to take that decision, Mr. Speaker, supported by every single one of those Conservative candidates opposed by him, that we had the fastest economic growth in the G7. We're now able to help families up and down the country. If we listened to him, it wouldn't have been possible, Mr. Speaker. And I don't think they'll be listening to him either. I think, Matt, we should call a moratorium on. <laughs> and MPs of all parties doing that joke where they say, ha ha, you know, everybody's taking lumps of each, out of each other and someone's going to get eliminated in the first round and, oh, it's really ugly and everyone's preening themselves. Ha ha, I'm actually talking about love the Tory leadership. Anyway, Love Island's on ITV, as Nadim Zahawi yeah. did last night at the literal Mansion House speech. You know, these people are disgracing the dignity of their office with these terrible, <laughs> terrible jokes. Um, and Keir Starmer I, I, is no as exception. A, as a form, it's got a proper name, that that joke. Um, it's, oh, it's named after... It's a friend of... A, a late friend of Rory Bremner's. Rory Bremner once told me a joke I told was of this form, where you think that you're saying one thing and then you flip it and reverse it. I think part of the problem is it's so laboured and obvious that everyone gets there before the punchline. A Keir Starmer joke being laboured, I don't believe it for a second. Hard hard to believe. I I thought his tribute to Boris Johnson was the absolute bare minimum and no more. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Any, but, you know, if Keir Starmer got up at the dispatch box and said, look, I know Boris Johnson is motivated by a sense of duty or public service <laughs> and he's always put other people first. And, you know, I know that uh, he'll be con- contributing to our national uh, life in future. Everybody would look at him and say, what are you talking about this? You don't believe that. And nor, nor does Boris Johnson, actually. So, you know, he, he was left without any option. And I think it's, uh, you know, the, the, that, that famous dictum, don't say anything nice about someone. Don't don't say anything about someone if you have nothing nice to say. It doesn't really apply say, here, does if it? You, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, it doesn't, like, that doesn't was, apply. You and here, I clearly it? didn't listen to that closely enough because um, we can't. No, remember well, no. Look at uh, look at us now. Let, yeah. Look at us now. I'm mean, literally being paid to do this. Uh, right, let's go back to the House of Commons then. Uh, question number two for Keir Starmer. Well, well, I'm impressed he managed to get through that with a straight face. Actually, <laughs> um, I think the truth is this. They organised the TV debates because they thought it would be a great chance for the public to hear from the candidates first hand. Then disaster struck because the public actually heard from the candidates (laughs) first hand. But but I am interested uh, in what he makes of the battle for his job. So let me start with a simple one. Does the Prime Minister agree with his former Chancellor that plans put forward by the other candidates are, in his words, I've got them here, nothing more than the fantasy economics of unfunded spending promises. Well, well, Mr Speaker, they know all about fantasy economics because uh, they've they've already committed to £94 billion of extra tax and uh, and spending, uh, Mr Speaker, which every household in this country would have to pay for to the tune of about £2,100. It's thanks to the uh, the former Chancellor's management of the economy, thanks to this government's management of the economy, we had growth in May of 0.5%. We have more people uh, in paid employment than at any time in the history of this country, Mr Speaker. Uh, and I leave, I'm, I'm proud to be leaving office right now with unemployment at or near a 50-year low, Mr Speaker. When, when they left office, it was at 8%. That's the difference between them and us. 
Well, it's not getting any better, is it? I mean, that was Boris Johnson almost doing it. That's what you are, that is. <laughs> well, yeah, look, Keir Starmer will be licking his lips and abs- looks absolutely delighted to have the opportunity to attack the Tories from the right on economic credibility. But that is exactly what those brutal leadership debates over the weekend on Channel 4 and ITV have given him. You know, you couldn't move for lobby journalists like you and I saying this is a gift to the Labour Party after that, you know, hour of blood sports on Sunday night between uh, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak in particular. And this is exactly why, because you've got Tory cabinet ministers and Tory former cabinet ministers on the record trashing the past 12 years of government and also their credibility to run the country uh, and run the economy, which is exactly where Labour is weakest and exactly now, bizarrely, where they find themselves with the strongest line of attack. So you're seeing exactly why um, you know, Tory, uh, Tory leadership contenders, Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak in particular, pulled out of that Sky debate the other night because they have uh, no shortage of uh, barbs to be repelling from Labour now. Uh, yeah, it's in, uh, one thing that struck me is that, that Lindsay Hall's allowing quite a lot of leeway here. Keir Starmer is basically asking about the Tory party leadership contest, which in the past, that's the sort of thing that might have got struck out on the basis that it's nothing. It's to not do the with work the of the prime minister. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, so I, I suppose, look, the candidates are talking about Boris Johnson's record. If we're in a sort of valedictory uh, retrospective yeah. mood, you know, it is sort of relevant if the man who was Boris Johnson's chancellor until five minutes ago is saying uh, that, his foreign secretary yeah. is engaging in fancy economics of his foreign secretary. The woman who's still foreign secretary is saying, well, look, the chancellor until five minutes ago has been doing a terrible job and is about to lead us into a recession. Uh, just on the, uh, the, the the joke structure, it's called a Langdon. Uh, it's named after John Langdon, who died mm. a couple of years ago. Uh, the example that Roy Bremner gave at the time, and he wrote a piece about this, revealed as John Langdon. It's a joke where a joke formula we introduce two subjects and switch them at the punchline. For example, Boris Johnson and his girlfriend introduced their new dog to Downing Street yesterday. He's a bit scruffy and wants to everything that moves, but we'll get used to him, said the dog. You see, uh, that's a slightly better version than the, than the standard ones we have. I'm, slapping, anyway, I'm uh, slapping my thigh. I'm not sure you can hear that on. Let's see how fleet. we get on. Did the jokes improve as uh, we go back to the House of Commons? Question number three from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, every Labour pledge made under my leadership is fully costed. Those buying, those buying to protect him... Those vying to replace him have racked up £330 billion of unfunded spending commitments. But I do note that the Prime Minister didn't agree with his former Chancellor. So what about his Foreign Secretary? She was withering about the government's economic record. She said, again her words, here they are, If Rishi has got this great plan for growth, why haven't we seen it in the last two and a half years at the Treasury? That's a fair question, is it, Prime Minister? Actually, Mr Speaker, I think everybody would uh, agree that what you saw in the last two and a half years was because of the pandemic, the biggest fall in output uh, for biggest fall in output for 300 years, which this government dealt with and, and coped with magnificently uh, by, by distributing vaccines faster than any other European government, faster than any other major economy, which would not have been possible if we had listened to him. And that's why, Mr Speaker, we have the fiscal firepower that is necessary to help families up and down the country, making tax cuts for virtually everybody paying national insurance contributions. Uh, the, the difference between 
Labour and the Conservatives, Mr Speaker. Uh, there is a crucial philosophical difference. Under Labour, families on low incomes get most of their income from benefits. Under us, they get most of it from earnings. Because we believe in jobs, jobs, jobs. That's the difference, Mr Speaker. Well, a proper sort of bit of ideological uh, ding-dong there, uh, Patrick Maguire. Um, Liz Truss's attacks on uh, Rishi Sunak, Boris Johnson sort of brushing them aside and just bigging up his own record rather than getting embroiled in their fisticuffs. Yeah, he needs to maintain the fiction that he doesn't have a preferred candidate and that he definitely isn't deploying all the firepower of himself and his team and his uh, shock troops to uh, to undermine and derail Rishi Sunak's leadership bid, doesn't he? And as you said, you know, proper, um, proper, you know, Tory red meat there, a proper ideological debate. And that's one of the interesting things about this leadership race, isn't it? In the absence of any debate over uh, policy, this wasn't a leadership race, unlike in uh, 2019, that was sparked by disagreement over policy. It's about personality. And into the breach have stepped candidates who genuinely are scrapping to the death over how the Tory party should run the economy. And, and we're seeing Boris Johnson take a side in that debate there. <coughs> yeah, well, let's see uh, where he goes now. We've had uh, Rishi Sunak's comments. We've had Liz Truss's comments. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get a little bit of Penny Mordant now. Let's go back to the House of Commons. It's PMQ's on question number four. Mr Speaker, inflation is up again this morning and millions are struggling with a cost-of-living crisis. And he... He's decided to come down from his gold wallpapered bunker for one last time to tell us that everything's fine. I am going to miss the delusion. But his Foreign Secretary didn't stop there, Mr Speaker. She also said that the former Chancellor's 15 tax rises are leading the country into recession. And the member for Portsmouth North was even more scathing. She said, again her words, our public services are in a desperate state. We can't continue with what we've been doing because it clearly isn't working. Has the Prime Minister told her who's been running our public services for the last 12 years? Mr Speaker, this is absolute. Again, he's doing this completely satirical. This is the government. This is the government that is investing £650 billion uh, in infrastructure, in skills, in technology. He talks about public services. What really matters to people in this country right now is getting their, getting their appointments, getting their operations, fixing the COVID backlogs. That's what we're doing. Fixing the ambulances. That's what he should be talking about, Mr Speaker. And, and that's why we voted through. That's why we passed the £39 billion health and care levy, Mr Speaker, which they opposed. What, every time something needs to be done, Mr Speaker, they try to oppose it. Now, he's just a great pointless human bollard, Mr Speaker. That's what he is. <laughs> That's so bad. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh at calling someone a great pointless human, the human bollard. The human bollard. I don't I was think also we dignify that with any analysis, do we? No, I mean the other the other joke, which was which again does just lacks sense. He's come down from his gold wallpapered bunker. Can you come down from a bunker? Uh, um, no, you can come uh, up out of a bunker, presumably. Yeah, no, that didn't make any sense either, did it? Right, well, let's see if it gets any. Let, let's not let's not dwell on it because it's the same stuff going around in circles. Uh, let's um, let's you see know, if it. There is no sense of anyone rising to this occasion, is there? <laughs> No, well, get, give it time. You know, we've still got two more questions, Patrick. Let's, um, don't forget, you can watch along online right now. Go to the Times Radio YouTube channel. Lots of you are basically just passing comment on my bookshelves, which is 
a sad reflection of what's actually happening in the actual House of Commons. Anyway, we'll go back to the Commons now. It's question five from Keir Starmer. Uh, Mr Speaker, if only, if only it was satirical. It's what the future candidates think of his... Mr Speaker. We want to get through PMQs because there's quite a few of you wanting to catch my eye. It will be more helpful if we get through in order to do that. Keir Starmer. I appreciate they may not want to hear what their future leader thinks of their record in government, but I think the country needs to know. If only it were satirical, Prime Minister, it's what the candidates think of the record. But among the mudslinging, there was one very important point, because the member for Saffron Walden claimed that she warned the former Chancellor that he was handing taxpayer money directly to fraudsters in Covid loans. She says he dismissed her worries and that, as a result, he cost the taxpayer £17 billion. Does the Prime Minister think that she's telling the truth? Prime Minister, okay, well, this is the, one of the last blasts from Captain Hindsight, uh, Mr. Speaker, because, uh, or, or at, least to, at least to me, uh, at least to me, because, because they were the party. I remember they were the party who were who were so so desperate uh, for us to be uh, hiring their friends with to get to with PPE. They wanted a football agent uh, to supply and a theatrical costumier uh, to supply PPE. Do you remember, Mr. Mr. Speaker? We ha- we had to get that stuff at record speed. Uh, we produced £408 billion worth of support uh, for families and for businesses up and down the country, Mr Speaker, and the only reason we were able to do it at, at such speed is because we managed the economy in a sensible and moderate way. And Labour, every time they've left office, it's with unemployment higher, they're economically illiterate, Mr Speaker, and they would wreck the economy. Well, Boris Johnson is quite enjoying himself, I think. He's sort of uh, trundling out his, uh, his greatest hits. He's probably having more, more fun than Keir Starmer. Is that fair, Patrick? I think so, because Boris Johnson treats Keir Starmer's quite serious and earnest questions with disdain. It's hard not to have fun if you refuse to engage on the, on the terms Keir Starmer sets, which are you have serious and legitimate questions to answer about how you run the country. If you're both demop happy and otherwise uninterested in responding to that sort of uh, sober scrutiny, then of course you're going to have a great laugh. That's Boris Johnson's premiership in a nutshell, is it not? Oh, we should point out the the, the reference to uh, the MP for Saffron Wall. That seems like a long time ago. That was obviously uh, Kemi Badenoch who uh, challenged Rishi Sunak on telly the other night and said... Uh, you you refuse to do anything about uh, COVID fraud. Again, interesting, though, that Boris Johnson, as he did at PMQs last week, declined even implicitly to have a pop at Rishi Sunak. Now, that, I think, underlines something quite interesting about Boris Johnson's legacy. Because so much of it is we kept Britain ticking over through the pandemic, it's quite difficult for him. And it will always be quite difficult for him as much as there is a lot of bad blood between the two and a lot of, um, you know, he clearly despises the man who he made Chancellor. It's going to be very difficult for him when discussing uh, his legacy and, and, you know, trying to weave that yarn about uh, being the Prime Minister who led Britain to unprecedented economic growth after getting out of lockdown to have a pop at Rishi Sunak, who was at his right hand throughout that and was one of the main architects of our exit from lockdown and, and the economic measures that kept Britain ticking over during. So it'll be very interesting to see how he how he plays that one in his memoirs and in his lecture tours and in his appearances on uh, <laughs> low-rent, low-budget US cable news stations. Well, he's always welcome on Times Radio as well. 
Uh, well, um, you can stand uh, in for is... you when you're on holiday instead of me. <laughs> I think you probably go down better than Matt Hancock did on the other side yesterday. Uh, right, let's. Um, uh, it feels like we, this hasn't really risen to the occasion. Lots of you have posted comments saying that you've had more fun looking at my bookcase and having quite an extended conversation about sausages, which I think dates back to a couple of weeks ago when I ate a sausage on YouTube. Each of the own, I suppose. Uh, let's see how uh, how this all winds up. There's quite a moment, this. Boris Johnson's last Prime Minister's questions. He's been Prime Minister now for very nearly three years. Uh, he's been facing Keir Starmer for just over two years across the dispatch box. And now this is their last exchange. So we go back to the House of Commons. PMQ's unpacked. This is Keir Starmer. I think the message coming out of this leadership contest is pretty clear. They got us into this mess and they've no idea how to get us out of it. The Foreign Secretary says we can't go on with our current economic policy. The member for Portsmouth North bemoaned the fact that what we've been doing has not been good enough. And the member for Saffron Walden probably puts it best when she simply asked, why should the public trust us? We haven't exactly covered ourselves in glory. Their words, their future leaders' words. They've trashed every part of their record in government, from dental care and ambulance response times to the highest taxes in 70 years. What message does it send when the candidates to be Prime Minister can't find a single decent thing to say about him, about each other, or their record in government? Mr Speaker, what does it say? What What does it say about him? But no one can name a single policy of the late, after three years of the Labour opposition apart from putting up taxes. He's one of those pointless plastic bollards you find uh, around, a, around a deserted roadworks on a motorway, Mr Speaker. Uh, we got Brexit done. He voted against it 48 times. We got this country passed out of Covid in spite of everything uh, he would have kept, and when he would have kept us in lockdown. We're fixing social care, Mr Speaker, when they have no plan and no ideas of their own. And we're now bringing forward measures uh, in the face of strikes to outlaw wildcat strikes, Mr Speaker. Uh, I can tell you, to outlaw wildcat strikes, I can tell you why why he does that that funny wooden (laughs) flapping gesture. I'll tell you why he does that funny wooden flapping gesture. Because, Mr Speaker, he's 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 got the union barons pulling his strings from beneath him. Pounds, Mr. Speaker, we've restored our democracy and our independence. Uh, we've got this country through COVID, and I'm proud to say that whether it comes to tackling climate change or sticking up for Ukraine, we have led the world on the international stage. And I want to thank my friends and colleagues on these benches for everything that they have done. Well, no applause, no standing ovation. Um, but no, that 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 will come if that if it comes, Patrick, it'll come at the very end. In I'm the past, so sorry. At the very the last. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that there definitely will be, but there's, there's but no, you think there might be a spontaneous ripple of applause Some, emanating something, from something there. Nadine Dorries I, and Andrea I, Jenkins. With the... I think they're probably trying to, still trying to get their heads around the idea that a bollard around some roadworks on a motorway might be unnecessary. Well, look, you know. This is the party of the Cones hotline, of course. I thought Boris Johnson was going to make a major <laughs> policy proposal, uh, you know, to establish himself in the great tradition of Tory leaders. Uh, but no, alas not. Uh, you know, the anti-Keir Starmer Cones hotline. There you go. And, and this is a good opportunity. This is a good reason for why you should be watching along live on YouTube. It's so that you can see that uh, Boris Johnson doing the arms. The, 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 the sort of Keir Starmer, both arms going up and down in unison. 
which a, a thing I'd never heard Boris Johnson refer to before, now decide that's because he's having his strings pulled by the union bosses. Again, incoherent. And the problem is, this is, <laughs> this is look, it's the problem with, with the Conservative Party. Um, Labour are going to be fighting at the next election the Conservative Party they want to fight, which is a, uh, you know, either leader will be implementing some degree of austerity, um, particularly if they're cutting taxes. Uh, and they'll be, look, that's exactly the Tory party Labour want to fight after yeah. 14 years in opposition. Boris Johnson and whoever succeeds them will not be fighting a Labour Party that is tacking left, that is proud of its links with the unions, that is proposing massive spending uh, and tax commitments. Quite the opposite. So, you know, you're seeing in here the next election how difficult it will be for the Conservative Party to pillory and caricature Keir Starmer as a conventional Labour leader. Now, it might be, uh, you know, we're talking about marionettes and, and, you know, wooden puppets. It might be that Keir Starmer's um, boring, to quote his shadow cabinet, delivery and, uh, you know, lack of of stage uh, charisma will be the problem that allows the Tories to find a way through. But look, on policy grounds, you're seeing now how tricky it's going to be for, for whoever succeeds Boris Johnson. Patrick, I think we're going, I think tradition would dictate that on today of all days, uh, we probably do need to hear from the uh, the mighty orator that is the SNP's Ian Blackford. Boris this Johnson. week has seen historic records set across the United Kingdom. But let's look at the Prime Minister's record-breaking efforts in office. His Tory Brexit slashed £31 billion from the economy. The biggest fall in living standards since the 1970s. People's pay in real terms falling at the fastest rate on record. With the worst economic growth forecast in the G20 outside Russia. And the highest inflation in 40 years. Personally, I'd like to thank the Prime Minister in his capacity as Minister of the Union for driving support for independence to new heights. Mr Speaker, Westminster is holding Scotland back. The economy is failing and this Prime Minister has driven us to the brink of a recession. Isn't it the case that the Prime Minister's legacy of catastrophic mismanagement has paved the way for the end of the Union? Mr Speaker, that's not what I uh, observe. And he talks about records. I'll point to the, the fastest vaccine rollout in Europe. Lowest unemployment, as I said, uh, for uh, at or near 50 years. Lowest youth unemployment. Fastest growth in the G7 uh, last year, in spite of everything. Now, as for the Scottish uh, national, nationalist record, just look at, look at where, uh, where, where they are. They're, I'm afraid to say Scottish uh, school standards are not what they should be because of the failure uh, of the SNP. Uh, they're failing... They're failing, they're failing people uh, who are tragically addicted, addicted to drugs, uh, Mr Speaker, in Scotland. And the people of Scotland are facing another £900 million in tax because of the mismanagement of the SNP. Oh, it wasn't quite um, the, uh, the, the box office no. uh, ending we might have liked, Patrick. Well, we've got another question from Ian Blackford, haven't we? Or, or, but, you know, Ian Blackford was smiling as he asked that. I think they've always enjoyed their little joust, haven't they? And that is the epitaph. The SNP would very much like uh, Boris Johnson to have the Prime Minister who oversaw the end of the Union. It'll be interesting to see if we hear from any of the uh, Northern Ireland MPs, particularly the DUP uh, from the Unionists and the, and the SDLP from the Nationalist side, whether they uh, offer similar uh, reflections on, on Boris Johnson's short time in number 10, which may prove to be very consequential in how the rest of the United Kingdom sees Westminster. And Boris Johnson may well have been the catalyst 
for uh, both of those constitutional shifts, I think. So I'm not sure what um, we, I'm not sure if we're taking uh, Ian Blackford's second question now, or are we going to go to uh, Ed Davey, the leader of the Lib Dems? Oh, you spoilers, uh, Ambassador! You spoilers. Uh, yeah, go, on, let's, let's, yeah, go on then. Let's have let's have a double dose of Ian Blackford. The Prime Minister might believe that nonsense. Here we the People of Scotland don't because they know the reality that our NHS is the best performing in the United Kingdom, and education standards under the SNP are moving in the right direction. Speaker, that's a, that's a good look to the people of Scotland, the disdain that the Tories show for our country. Mr Speaker, I hope that the Prime Minister has time to reflect on his conduct in office with all his new spare time, and I genuinely hope that he finds some peace of mind. The fact is that as well as a record-breaker, the Prime Minister is a rule-breaker, illegally shutting down Parliament, parting through the pandemic handing out PPE contracts to cronies, unilaterally changing the ministerial code. And let us not forget, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is still under investigation because he can't be trusted to tell the truth. Shameful, disgraceful and a complete waste of Scotland's time. This is how the people of Scotland will remember this Prime Minister. Isn't it the case that the Prime Minister and his government should have had its last day a long time ago. Quite simply, Downing Street is no place for a lawbreaker. Well, look, Mr. Speaker, I, I think on the, the points, he's, the personal abuse stuff, I, I think he's talking a load of tosh, but when he's up in it, when he's retired to the, 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 his croft, uh, <laughs> which may be all too soon, uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I hope that he will reflect on his long running campaign to break up the greatest country in the world. And uh, I hope he will reflect on the, on the pointlessness of what he uh, is trying to do and, and think instead about the priorities of the people of Scotland, which I think are about all the issues. Uh, that he thought were trivial about their education, about crime, Mr. Speaker, and about the about the burden uh, of taxation that they are unnecessarily placing on the people of Scotland. Oh dear! But that was a sort of ended. I thought that, I thought there might have been a bit of bromance at the end there, but no, no place no, for the lawbreaker. It, it was Boris quite Johnson saying, Boris Johnson saying he won't indulge in the personal abuse and then make some joke about how. Ian Blackford's going to be out on his ear and back on his retiring on his croft, well, the yeah. humble crofter that he is. Well, exactly. Two classic jibes at Ian Blackford there from Boris Johnson. The first, uh, the mocking reference to his croft, which, as we all know, is a, a mansion with about six separate wings <laughs> and a life-size replica the... of Hugh Hefner's grotto. Uh, you know, we in saw the him... early uh, In the early days of the, uh, of the pandemic, every week, Ian Blackford beamed into PMQs from over a Zoom room. from a different room. He got, he got to about... T- two months worth before he ran out of rooms, I think. It was extraordinary. And the second, uh, you know, the, the briefly, you know, he was talking about Ian Blackford may well be out for job himself soon, which is the irony of all of this and Ian Blackford's uh, holier-than-thou posturing is that he himself has been accused of overseeing a sexual harassment scandal and giving preferment to his own, uh, not deputy chief whip, as in the case of Chris Pincher, but his own chief whip was accused of sexual harassment and the SNP leadership at Westminster gave him preferential treatment. So it's quite funny. Uh, well, obviously, the substance of the case isn't funny at all, but you know, it's quite uh, you know, a, a bit of a piquant irony there for Ian Blackford to be crowing over the demise of Boris Johnson when his own parliamentary career might end in very similar circumstances. 
So there we are. I teased you a moment ago, Patrick, with the prospect of hearing from Ed Davey. Oh. Uh, but I, th- I think now, uh, because, you know, we want all the big beasts. It's a big day. Sir Ed Davey to you and I, Matt. Sir Ed Davey, if you don't mind. Uh, let's lead with the Lib Dems. Let's take a listen. As the Prime Minister leaves office, I'm sure the whole House is looking forward <coughs> to him completing his book on Shakespeare. We wait to read what he really thinks about tragic figures brought down by their vaulting ambition, or scheming politicians who conspire to bring down a tyrannical leader. The candidates, Mr Speaker, now plotting to take his place, all profess that they will bring a fresh start, a clean break from his government. But does the Prime Minister not agree with me that a fresh start and a clean break would require a new mandate from the British people. And before they strut and fret their hour upon the stage, there should be a general election. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I I think that Polonius, that's who he is. Uh, What you need, more matter with less art, Mr. Speaker. Uh, uh, The only thing thing you need to know, if if there were to be a general election, of course, the Liberal Democrats would rightly get thrashed, because that would be... That is the moment. That is the moment. That is the moment when the public actually look with horror at what Liberal Democrat policies really are, and, 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 all, and, all, and all these rural voters would discover the massive green taxes uh, that they would like to apply. Uh, and the, the only risk is that there, there could be some kind of crackpot coalition uh, between those guys and the Lib Dems uh, and the Scottish Nationalists uh, to put that into effect. That is what we must prevent. <laughs> I don't know why that jibe at the Lib Dems tickled me, even though it was particularly lame. Um, uh, Patrick McGuire, a decent, I mean, not a bad gag from Ed Davey, Boris Johnson's long-awaited book. I was looking it up. So he, he once declared about £100,000 of, of an advance for a book as yet unwritten. Suggestions it was worth £500,000 in total, but presumably be worth a lot more now. This is... This book uh, is taken longer than probably any work of Shakespeare itself. It's taken longer than uh, Guns N' Roses' famous album, Chinese Democracy, which took about 50, <laughs> 15 years to record. And then when it came out, it was absolutely terrible. So that's the that's probably, and you know, and that's probably the, a suitably lowbrow, lowbrow comparison for Boris Johnson. I'm told by, uh, you know, people around Keir Starmer, by the way, that they expressly forbade Keir Starmer from making any Shakespeare jokes because they thought uh, they're too predictable and too rubbish. And I think, uh, yeah, yeah, as you said, not a bad joke from Ed Davey, but I don't think Ed Davey's ever told a good joke in his life. So uh, it's, a, it's a low old bar for Sir Ed. I wasn't aware there was somebody in the, the Labour leader's office whose job it was to rule out predictable and lame <laughs> jokes. They're, not, pay, they're not paying them enough. <laughs> we're not. Uh, we're not. <laughs> OK, oh, this is it. This is it. It's all over. Basically, there were lots of sycophantic things from the toy backbenches and the opposition people being rude. But this is it. This is Boris Johnson's last hurrah at, uh, at Prime Minister's Questions. It's quite a moment. Thank you for uh, uh, listening along and watching along uh, over the past That's couple it. of years here on Times Radio. PMQ's unpacked. We can now go to the House of Commons. This is Boris Johnson's last moment at the dispatch box. I want to thank my, want to thank my right honourable friend. And I want, to give, I, want to, I want to use the last few seconds, Mr Speaker, to give some words of advice to uh, to my successor, whoever he or she uh, may be. Number one, stay close to the Americans, stick up for the Ukrainians, stick up for freedom and democracy everywhere. Cut taxes and deregulate wherever you can. 
to make this the greatest place to live and invest, which it is. I love the Treasury, but remember that if we'd always listened to the Treasury, we wouldn't have built the M25 or the Channel Tunnel. Focus, focus on the road ahead. Focus on the road ahead, but always remember to check the rearview mirror. And remember, remember a bubble. It's not Twitter that counts. It's the people that sent us here. And yes, uh, the, the, the last few years have been the greatest privilege of, of my life. And it's true that I, I helped to get the biggest Tory majority for 40 years and a, a huge realignment in UK politics, Mr Speaker. We've transformed our democracy and restored our national independence, as my right honourable friend says. We've helped, I've helped to get this country through a pandemic and helped save another country from barbarism. And frankly, that's enough to be going on with. Mission largely accomplished for now. I want to thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I want to thank all the wonderful staff of the House of Commons. I want to thank all my friends and colleagues. I want to thank my right friend uh, opposite, Mr Speaker. Uh, I want to thank everybody here and hasta la vista, baby. Thank you. Oh. Just, uh, oh, in fact, we're going to hear some of the applause. There is a standing ovation in the House of Commons. On the Conservative side, Boris Johnson making his way out through the... Uh, some Tory MPs much slower to get to their feet than others there, I think. Uh, on the opposite side, uh, definitely the SNP and I think the Labour side, uh, defiantly sitting down. Uh, in fact, making their way out, uh, abandoning the House of Commons chamber uh, on the other side. So, so not, the, uh, not the, the picture of unity we saw when Tony Blair, when David Cameron, when Theresa May stepped down where there was a round of, you know, standing ovation from across all sides of the House, as opposed to some extent, Patrick, a sign of, of what an ultimately divisive figure that Boris Johnson is and was, and also the manner of his departure. Yes, totally. On, on one level, it is, it is a reflection of the personality Boris Johnson is, the nature of his departure, and just how sour that has been, and what a polarising figure he's also been. But look, it's impossible, not that the Labour Party or certainly the SNP would have been inclined to anyway, to give a standing ovation to a, uh, a eulogy for oneself that was so self-congratulatory. You know, listen to, listen to that back. He said, I saved another country from from barbarism. You know, he was effectively casting himself as a mixture between, uh, you know, Winston Churchill, the Terminator and Jesus Christ at points there. And, you know, what did that not have in common with the speeches you played over that lovely uh, twinkly piano montage earlier? Well, all of those speeches, David Cameron, Theresa May, uh, Tony Blair, were all sort of hymns to the office being bigger than its inhabitant, to politics meaning something more than the ego. And, look, it's not a criticism of Boris Johnson uh, or a churlish uh, criticism of Boris Johnson, rather, to say that is not what his speech was about at all. It was about, uh, I have been vindicated, Rishi Sunak ruined my premiership, uh, that dig at the Treasury was none too subtle, was it? <laughs> and uh, I'll be back, you know, hasta la vista, baby. But when he said, you know, that is that for now... I'll be back. He was Boris Johnson does two kinds of cultural references. He either does uh, the classical or 1980s blockbusters, you know, the mayor from Jaws. Uh, I'm sure he's done a couple of Ghostbusters gags at, at some point. And now he's doing Terminator. I think, you know, that's a signal of intent for Boris Johnson uh, that this is not the end. Uh, but that doesn't make for a very conventional or uh, tear-jerking goodbye to the Commons for now, does it? No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, his repeated references to being back, whether that's back in the pages of the Telegraph as a columnist or back in the House of Commons 
back in number 10. Overnights uh, on that... Times Radio. <laughs> He's very welcome to it. He's very welcome to it. Uh, Patrick McGuire, thank you so much for that. Thank you to all of you uh, for watching. You can get Patrick in your inbox uh, every uh, every weekday, Monday to Friday, just after 8.30. Patrick will be in your inbox. And Patrick, you're in the hot seat next week and the week after. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm warming your throne right now, Matt, sitting in the big chair. I'm very much looking forward to it if people uh, aren't on holiday. Or indeed, if you are on holiday, anywhere with an internet connection, you can get Times Radio on your phone now, can't you? So I'll be, tune I'll be in. From we'll the, be having uh, I'll a be great laugh. I'll be listening for the deck chairs in Lyme Regis. Uh, the major breakthrough on the YouTube channel uh, today, an appearance by the dog has gone down better than any of the exchanges at PMQs, and someone's now posting spam in there, uh, which apparently is a sign that we've, we've broken through. Can I, I just respond far- to, to one question that's been asked repeatedly by one uh, YouTuber? Uh, my Greg's order is two vegan sausage rolls, although I'm not a vegan. I just prefer them to the normal sausage rolls. So there you go. Well, well there we are. You're not going to get invited on Piers Morgan with that sort of attitude. Uh, final comment uh, posted on YouTube uh, in reference to Boris Johnson saying, mission mostly accomplished. That's nothing one wants to hear in bed or in Parliament. Mm. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.